Good morning. morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this past week where we could celebrate the holiday of Thanksgiving. And we never forget the greatest gift of all, the gift of your Son, to forgive us of our sins. And Lord, let us, as we go into the Christmas holiday where we celebrate the birth of your Son, let us remember truly what that what it is all about and uh, be able to take our eyes off the shiny baubles and remember the great gift. This we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's worship our Lord. Good morning, everybody. Traveling to heaven. Preparing for heaven is like going on a journey. First, you must decide where you want to go. Then you must purchase your ticket. But wait, how will you purchase it? Can you buy it by being a good person, going to church, acting religious, or giving money or volunteering your time to others? The Bible says none of these things will suffice. Because the ticket to heaven is far too expensive uh, for any mankind to afford. Does that mean we can never go there? No. The reason is because somebody else already purchased the ticket for us. That person was Jesus Christ. And the price he paid was his own blood shed on the cross for us. Now he offers that ticket to heaven fully free and fully paid for. Why refuse it? Why try some other way? Jesus' invitation is still open. Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And the hope for today, steadfast love, forgiveness of sin, entry into heaven, and an eternity with God. Jesus offers it all to every person. All we have to do is humble ourselves and come. Um, I just want to thank you, Lord. I come before you today, and there's just one thing that I want to say. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all you've given to me.
So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal, and of every clean bird, and offered offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a grand message that is to us. If you're up to it, you can stand with me and we will recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our new uh, Testament reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. How we now thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you 
asking God to let us see you again, to fill the gaps in your faith. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. And now join us in a responsive reading. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing, knowing that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you call for us to give back, even though all belongs to you and is on loan to us. And you say, share, share with an open heart. So, Lord, we ask that the gifts that we give today and the gifts that we give every day be done with an open heart and be done so that your word can reach out and reach more people than it does, than are there, Lord, because we want the whole world to get to know and honor you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to rise for the next Today we're going to continue in our series in uh, Genesis, um, and we're in chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 25. We'll actually finish up chapter 2 today. Um, and this, these <coughs> verses are talking and establishing the foundation of marriage and gender uh, two issues of which are huge in our day, are they not? You know, I, I never thought that we'd get to the place where gender was an issue. <laughs> but, but it is, and, uh, and there's lots of confusion, lot, you know, both about gender and also about marriage and uh, all kinds of stuff about marriage. So, so as is in every case, God's word is relevant, isn't it? God's word is you know, if, if we will listen to and obey and meditate on God's word, it is relevant to our lives. 
It sets all the background, really, for, for how we live and who we are and so on. So let's, um, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the time that we have together this morning. Father, we come before you and we thank you that your word is, um, it is life. It is infinitely deep. It is infinitely broad. Uh, it is infinitely tall. It is the ultimate, Lord, it is eternal. Your word is eternal and speaks to our hearts and brings our lives into conformity with you. You spoke your word by the Holy Spirit. You spoke it into existence. And then you come along, Lord, and, and, uh, and help us to understand it by your Holy Spirit. So I'm praying today that you will help us to understand your word clearly by your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us, each one of us, in areas in our lives and wrong thinking and wrong actions and wrong attitudes and so on, that your word will, will speak to us and bring correction, bring encouragement, bring training so that we can become more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Caroline, um, a number of, I think it was about a year ago, and she, she does substitute teaching sometimes, and uh, not too often, but every now and then she'll, she'll, um, she'll you know, be a sub, and they really like her. And she was, at lunchtime, she was out in the hall, and there were a couple of girls talking, and the girls were saying, one of them was saying to the other one, you know, I haven't decided whether I'm bi or whether I'm heterosexual or homosexual, and, and I'm trying to decide. This was in this was in middle school, okay, pre-puberty, and they're talking about what's you know, and, and now it's you know, it's even worse. They're talking about what sex they're going to be. I mean, it it's it's crazy what the world is dealing with and the kinds of things that we run across every day. And you, you can't open up the newspaper or, well, most people don't open up newspapers anymore, but, you know, click, <laughs> click on uh, uh, your iPad or whatever it is, and the, the junk that's going down in our culture. And God is, you know, both grieved, <clears throat> but... Uh, but he loves those people, and he died for them, and he wants them to, to, uh, to come into the knowledge of the truth. And so we're seeing even things, you know, now where boys are allowed into girls' locker rooms, you know, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it all goes back to the beginning, and that's what we want to talk about today, that it all goes back to the very beginning of creation. And in the creation account, God brings order out of chaos. That's what it's all about. God spoke order into the world, into existence, into the universe. God spoke order into chaos. And in gender, God brings order out of chaos. And our society is in chaos right now in every single area. And the more that we depart from God's word, the more that we, you know, that, that our society, our culture, goes into chaos. And that's what we're seeing. Just people have no idea who they are, or what they are, what gender they are. They're married, you know, the, the, the horrendous statistics there are on marriage, um, you know, and the number of people breaking up 
in marriages which are in, in chaos. But the solution to the problems is not going back to human reason and trying to figure out what the problems are and how we can solve them. Um, the solution is we've got to go back to God's Word and understand what God's Word says and then apply God's Word to our lives. Um, okay, let's get to our text. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this is going back to picking up in chapter 1. Gave us kind of the broad stroke. And then this is now picking up on um, and giving more clarity to what was said in chapter 1. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable, suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the first thing that we see in this is that God um, put Adam in to name the animals. And remember we talked about um, a number of weeks ago, that Adam, um, that man was put on earth to have dominion over the earth, to rule over the earth. And we are the highest of creation, and we are to uh, rule over the earth. It says in verse one, chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and all the creatures that move along the ground. So we are put into a position on this earth and in this universe to bring order and to rule it. And when we name something, as it says in these verses, we have authority over it. Okay? God gave us dominion over the earth. We have authority over the earth. Sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. But notice the cooperation between man and God. God created and then gave God dominion over the earth. When we name something, we also give it definition. Adam was defining all the animals. Whatever Adam named the animals, that was its name. But Adam, and I think this is really interesting, I didn't really see this until I was doing research on this, that Adam was to give names to all the animals but not individually. You know, a, a lion come up and he said, well, you know, you look like George. I'll call you George, you know. And, and then a, a female lion comes up, and, you know, I'll call you Gertrude. Uh, you know, it wasn't that way. God, or Adam, named species. But that's interesting. God named species of animals, but when Eve came along, Adam named Eve Eve. And he named his sons. And, and that's the difference. Man has that special place because 
um, he told Adam, name them, name the species, but when we come to human beings, you give it a name, an individual name. Mark Twain had a joke about Adam coming home from naming all the animals. Uh, Eve looked at an elephant and said, what did you name that big animal? Adam said, I called it an elephant. So Eve asked, well, why did you call it an elephant? And he answered, because it looked like an elephant. <laughs> Mark Twain, I loved Mark Twain. <laughs> He's quite a guy. So when we name something, we give it a definition. We define what it is and how it functions and so on. But we also take responsibility for it. So as Adam is naming the animals, one by, you know, species by species, he was, he was taking responsibility for it. And we have, I believe, as Christians, we have a responsibility, mankind has a responsibility, over the earth to use it wisely. And I, you know, it's just my own personal opinion. I think that we as Christians should be the best environmentalists that there are. I'm, I'm not, you know, going along with a lot of, a lot of the environmental uh, uh, political stuff is, is kind of silly, but, but we should, as, as God's people, we have been given dominion to use responsibly what God has given to us. So we're to take good care of it. And we take care of it not because we worship the earth, you know, some people worship the earth, but because we worship God who created the earth. And we do it as his steward, as one entrusted by God to take care of what he, is in, he has given to us. And the last thing is we'll give an account for how we've used the creation. Someday we'll all give an account, you know, how did you use what I entrusted to you? The other thing that's interesting to me as I was doing this research was that it took time for Adam to name the animals. And sometimes you read the text and you think, well, you know, in the morning, Adam named the animals. <laughs> and then Eve was created, and, and you know. But it took time. Uh, the animals, you know... <laughs> came to Adam and he named them. Adam was a horticulturalist and he named all the animals and that took time. So this wasn't just something that happened, you know, Adam is created today and tomorrow he names the animals and so on. Uh, we're talking about a, a time period. We don't know how much time. Doesn't give, the text doesn't give us any indication of how long that took. But it wasn't instantaneous. It was a while before the fall happened after the creation. Also notice that there was only one language on the earth at that time. Okay? It wasn't that, that Adam, you know, went to Nogales and, and you know, and, and named them in Spanish, and then he came up here and he named them in English. There was one language over the, all the, earth, over the whole earth that divisional language didn't happen until the Tower of Babel that we'll see later on in Genesis. So one name for all, you know, every creature species. But then it says that Adam that God created the woman. Verse 18. The Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone." Now, up to that time, God had said, "It is good." He at each of the each of the days he said, "And it it is good." God said it was good. But for the first time, God says, "It is not good." 
It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So in verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Interesting, in the Hebrew, the word for man here is, is ish, it, for male. Okay, And then the word for woman is isha. And it's just, it's just an ending on that ish, ish, isha. And so, it's, you know, so even in the Hebrew, just in the, looking at the Hebrew, you can see the one comes out of the other. It's just an ending on ish. And also we see uh, in this, when God brings Adam, brings Eve to Adam, Adam goes into poetry, and these, these verses are in poetry, and, and Adam just in ecstasy says, wow, <laughs> you know, this is incredible what you brought to me. <clears throat> he finally met somebody who was equal and fully his match. Only in this way will the man's loneliness truly be assuaged. I mean, who wants to sit around talking to aardvarks, you know? I mean, you know, it's, we, we uh, you know, Adam looked and, and there was nothing, none of the animals that went through. And, he, you know, by the time it was all done, he said, boy, I just haven't found anything that really fills that loneliness. And so, you know, one of the primary purposes then of these two sexes is to, is to cure loneliness. God brought us somebody who would complement who we are. He knows our needs, doesn't he? And then there's the word, interesting word, that is translated various ways, where it says that a helper suitable for him. And the word in the Hebrew means a helper or a companion or a helper com comparable to them. These are different uh, different ways that it's translated. A helper fit for him, a helper correspondent to him, a helper suited to his needs. The idea is that, that there is a complement, God brought a complement to male, which is female, and the two of them complement one another. Man is complete with his wife. And notice that God created man, a generic, male and female. Adam was not complete without, Adam was not complete without Eve, but in this account in chapter one, God did not specify how or when the female was created. Chapter two spells out the specifics. God created the man first, then the female was created out of the man. Matthew Henry said, said this. Um, he said that the woman was created for the man. It said not out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful? Let me, let me read that again. I, I, it's really pretty. 
that woman was not made out of his head to top him. Okay, woman is not supposed to dominate the man, not out of his seat to be trampled upon by him. Nor is the woman created to be trampled upon by man, but out of his side to be equal with him. Under his arm to be protected. So that we protect that part of, of maleness is protecting femaleness. <laughs> that doesn't sound too good. But anyway, that, <laughs> you know what I mean. And near his heart to be beloved. Okay? So that there's love. And, and you go to Ephesians 5 and it's all about husbands love your wives and so on. So there were not two beginnings to the human race. One in Adam and one in Eve. There was one beginning of the human race in Adam. So, let's go back then to and talk about gender and gender roles. Because that's a big issue today, isn't it? Uh, what, you know, who, what, what is going on? And today, the, um, a lot of what's been going on in our culture is trying to eliminate the differences between men and women. Isn't that right? I mean, uh, you know, you know like, like, like right now where the... Uh, where women, uh, men who become, who identify as women can compete in women's sports. Okay, well, they're, they're winning, obviously winning, because they're, they're made differently than the, the woman, and, and so they're, they're dominating in those sports. But our culture says there are no differences. We as Christians, we say, yeah, there are differences. There are a lot of differences. And the problem with many in our culture is that they don't realize that gender and gender roles go back to creation. God's the one who established differences. Our sex is determined by our DNA, not by our choice. We can't choose to be a woman after we, God created us to be a man. And we can't choose to be a, woman, a man when God created us a woman. That's determined by our DNA. You may not feel like a woman, but you are a woman. Even though you don't want to identify as a woman. You may identify as a woman, but if you have the DNA of a man, you are a man. Sorry. That's how God created you. There's a quote here, and I want to read it to you. I thought, this is an older quote, but it's just so good that I wanted to read it to you. Sometimes even the women in this, uh, who participate in the feminist revolution, who shape their lives according to its ideals, shake their heads and wonder. Call them the yes, but generation. Yes, these women in their 30s and 40s, and again, this was written a, a bit ago, maybe 20 years ago. But things have not worked out as expected. It is hard for them not to feel resentful toward society for not coming to the aid of women in their new roles, toward the movement for not anticipating the difficulties. We were promised that we could do it all and we would be as successful as men. Okay, and this is talking about you know, women in the, in, the, in the workplace competing with men on an equal basis. Says Carolyn uh, Logalbo Goodfried. 39, a mother of a five-year-old, who manages more than $300 million worth of accounts for Kraft General Foods in Rye Brook, New York. But the trade-offs, and this is her quoting to her again, but the trade-offs and sacrifices a woman has to make are far greater than a man's. 
Legavo once met Gloria Steinem, who kicked off the, uh, the feminist movement, at an awards dinner and demanded to know, why didn't you tell us that it was going to be like this? The matriarch of Ms. Magazine answered with admirable candor, well, we didn't know. thought that was interesting. We didn't know. If we read our Bible, we know. Men and women are different. That's okay, we complement each other, but we're different. Hallelujah, we're different. <laughs> and it all goes back to the creation account. The question of gender, gender identity is really a question of the authority of Scripture. Did God create us or did he not? And God, it says, created male and he created female, and he didn't, you know, he... he I, I won't go on. <laughs> it's the Bible, not opinion surveys, that determines what is reality. God is the one who knows what is right and what is wrong, and what is male, what is female, and so on. And so we as Christians, we say, yes, there are, there are differences between male and female. Let's not try to make them the same. Let's celebrate the difference. Let me give you some examples. Uh, men have 50% more muscle, particularly in the upper body. They have larger wind branching bronchi, and 50% greater lung capacity. Women have more stored and circulating white blood cells. Um, the male digestive system functions at a higher pace. But women have a more acute sense of hearing, smell, and taste, a finer discrimination of color, can tolerate brighter lights and see better in dim light. They can better read the emotional content of faces such as anger, sadness, or fear. They have an advantage in social interaction. They have higher levels of estrogen. So for example, this is a, uh, an example here. If a male and female were both interviewing a potential new employee, the male might become very focused and engrossed in this line of questioning and the accuracy or clarity of responses. Okay, I can identify. That's, that would be me, okay? Well, a female would not only process the conversation, but also the mannerisms, facial expressions, facial color, dress, hygiene, and many other cues to personality and temperament. So, I, you know, we found that in, in, with us. I will, you know, we will both meet somebody, and Caroline will say, uh, watch out for him. <laughs> and I'll go, well, wait a minute, you know, he's a great guy. You know, we had a great conversation. I really like him. And she'll say, okay, but just watch out. And, and, you know, not always, but most of the time she's right. <laughs> there, there haven't been a lot of exceptions, but there have been, you know, <clears throat> but why? Because she's looking at all kinds of cues that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even close to it. I don't see those things at all. So male, usually more single-minded, focused, less distractible, perhaps less socially aware. And I put myself in that category. I'm, I'm less socially aware than Caroline is. That's okay. That's all right. Men are generally appear to be more aggressive, dominant, assertive, and seekers of control. They have a higher level of testosterone. 
So, what we're saying is, there are some very clear biological differences, both in the physique and also in the you know, physiology and neurology and all kinds of different areas. We're male and female, and rather than male trying to be female and female trying to be male, let's rejoice in the differences. Praise God that they're male and female. We complement each other, and we thank God for it. Now, among Christians, there's two different Christian views. And I won't go into this in great depth, but I just want to call your attention to it. Um, and Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free, female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there are those who are what we would call the more egalitarian role um, that, that believe that men and women have uh, equal roles both in the home and also in the church. Now remember, these are Christian views. So both are uh, ascribed to the inerrancy of Scripture, but some say that women and men have equal roles in the church. So you see churches where... Uh, you know, they do not have women elders. And, and, um, and so on. So it refers to a biblically based, and this is the definition then of egalitarian, it refers to a biblically based belief that gender in and of itself neither privileges nor curtails a believer's gifting or calling to any mystery in ministry in the whole church or the home. Okay? So there's egalitarian roles. It does not imply that women and men are identical or undifferentiated, but affirms because that's, you know, that's where the culture would go, but that's not where we as Christians go, but affirms that God designated men and women to complement and benefit one another. Okay, so that's one view. Again, Christian view. The other is what we could, would call a more traditional or complementarian view complementarianism. The opposing view is complementarianism, a view that holds that differing, often non-overlapping roles between men and women manifested in marriage, church leadership, and elsewhere are biblically required. Complementarianism is a belief that men were created for the headship role and women were created for the support role. So they go back a lot to this creation account and say that that Eve came out of Adam as a helper, and therefore um, that man is to have headship in the home and in the church. So there's a hierarchy of leadership. Men were called to lead. Okay, now, all of us are going to have kind of a variation of those. And again, both of those are Christian worldviews, but there is, in the church, there are differences in terms of how we view um, this relationship between male and female in the church and in the home. Now, where do I stand? Well, I go back to gender and gender roles, go back to creation, okay? So I don't, I, I don't stand with, you know, with our culture in that sense, that, that, um, that we can just decide... We already talked about that. And that male and female are both equal in God's eyes. Both will give an account to God. Both are to grow spiritually and become like Christ. But there are great physical and physiological differences. I'm thankful to be a man, and I married a woman. 
And I'm thankful for those differences that there are. And I praise God for those differences. Um, Men are stronger. And we are stronger. You know, we are stronger physically. But we are also stronger together as male and female because we complement one another. And so we try to we try to use to the you know and I mean I try to listen I, I notice the operative word here I try to listen to my wife when she says watch out for that because so many times I found out she's right about it okay and and that but then she relies on me for lots of things as well. I'm not sure which it is yet, but... <laughs> no, she does. She relies on me, and I rely on her, and that's how we complement each other. So we praise God, and that's why God put male and female together. So let's not resist the differences, but let's embrace and celebrate the difference. <clears throat> let's, differences. Let's not feminize men and masculinize women. Let's celebrate the differences. Okay, let's go back to then and talk about marriage because this, these verses also talk about marriage. For this reason, in verse 24, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So what God was establishing here was the institution of marriage. Now it's interesting to me that, you know, when you, when you look at these verses, all, it almost seems out of context. Okay? I mean, God just created Eve out of Adam's side, so they never got married. I mean, you know, I mean in, the, in the sense that we think of marriage. Um, and... And it says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Mother, Neither one of them left their father and mother. I mean, they, you know, Adam was created by God, and then Eve created, you know, out of Adam's side. So neither one of them had a father and mother. So why put that in there? You know? and, but it, what it does is it goes back, and goes back to the very creation of Adam and Eve, and says that marriage is based upon the original creation. So God established marriage right from the beginning. The creation of man, God put marriage in. And as soon as God created Eve, He established the institution of marriage. So marriage was God's idea, and His idea from the very beginning of time when He created man. And every marriage goes back to, and a lot of you know, marriage ceremonies, they go back to these verses, um, and that God is the foundation of marriage. He established it. It is given by Him. And they were one flesh. There was a covenant between them. They became related to each other, like a brother and sister. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, God made them one flesh, and I, you know, I've been with lots of people in, in consul couples and so on. And when there's a divorce, there's an incredible tearing that takes place. And somebody gets, in, really, both of them get really hurt. 
Why? Because there's a tearing of flesh. Man and woman together and, they, and living together and sharing their lives together and all of a sudden it's ripped apart. We are one flesh. And as, as that new one flesh, we form a new family. And Paul points back to the creation narrative to illustrate how the man is to cleave to his wife, that the two become one flesh and they become like Christ in the church in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to re read this to you here. Ephesians 5, beginning verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So God, you know, likens marriage to Christ and the church. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If we're one flesh, when we, husbands, when we love our wives, we are ask, actually loving our own flesh. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then Paul quotes and goes right back to this creation account and says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and two will become one flesh. Exact quote taken out of Genesis. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so God intended for marriage to be satisfying. He intended for marriage to be two people who come together and complement each other. And we are better together than we are separate. Proverbs 5.18, may, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. So right from the beginning, God includes this you know, love into the equation. Husbands, love your wife. Now that was out of Ephesians, but it goes, the Ephesians passage goes back to the creation passage. So in a one flesh relationship is committed love, respect, a marriage commitment, fidelity, and the pursuit of true intimacy. So becoming one flesh then, we become completely one with body, soul, and spirit, yet there's two people, but yet we are one flesh. So marriage then is meant to be a covenant made with God and another person. Before, made before God in another, uh, with another person. For Christians, marriage is never simply a social institution or a civil contract. It is a sacred union formed by God. Divorce may occur, but it's not God's intent. The exception clause only... Well, okay, but the idea is marriage is sacred and permanent. Matthew 19... 
some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Right out of the Genesis account that we just read. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So, in marriage then, we leave father and mother, and we cleave to our wife. Now, I put up here, I think, yeah. Um, go back a couple. Can you do that? <laughs> okay. Uh, there, go back two more. Okay, um, and this is, guess who this is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the two of us. A little bit different, a little skinnier back in those days. Uh. <laughs> but marriage is never simply a social contract, civil union. It's sacred union formed by God. That is, actually we had, in, in, our, in our wedding ceremony, um, we got all done with the, with the wedding ceremony, and and Caroline's dad said that he would be the photographer. We said, that's great. You know, we save money and so on. Well, after the ceremony is all over, Caroline's dad comes to us and said, I forgot to load the, load the film. <laughs> so, so this is the only, uh, we have, yeah, this is the only picture we have of our wedding. <laughs> anyway, so... But the reason I put this up here is, guess where we were married? Cleveland. <laughs> so when it says that, I always think of it, when it says, the, <laughs> we will leave our mother and father and cleave to our wives, that's the reason that we've stayed together. 54 years now. <laughs> because we were married in Cleveland. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. All right, well, anyway. Took her that long to discover that. <laughs> so when it talks about cleaving, it's talking about being glued together. We're like paper glued together, you know, and that's that one flesh relationship. And so when we are pulled apart, um, it, it tears. But I also want to say something. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, and 8. I wish that all men were as I am. He's talking about marriage here um, and, and singleness. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So, you know, in all this talk of marriage, I want to add this in here, that God says that singleness is also a special gift from God. So it's, you know, and I've heard many times sermons, and it's, you know, particularly on Mother's Day and different times like that, and it's, and it's difficult sometimes for those who are single. Well, God created singleness as well, and he calls some people to singleness, and just as we rejoice in marriage, single people need to rejoice in their singleness. Thank God for it. Uh, John Stott, who is one of my heroes, um, how many of you read John Stott sometimes? Okay. Anyway, I love John Stott. John Stott was single. He was purposely single. He decided he was going to remain single, and he was single all his life. He's dead now. 
And um, he was single and he was celibate all of his life. So it also is a gift from God. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is that it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so part of what, of, of what we celebrate is that they, they had no shame. They were, they were unashamed, unabashed. They were, they were disconsidered. They were like young children, unashamed of their nakedness. And then the, the shame comes in only at the fall. As soon as the fall happens, we'll talk about that, uh, in a couple of weeks. But as soon as that fall happens, then shame comes into the equation. So what is being talked about here is vulnerability, a total openness. Not meant here in a physical sense only. It means to stand in front of each other, stripped and undisguised, without pretension, without hiding anything. Seeing the partner as he or she really is, and showing myself to him or her as I really am and still not to be ashamed. The picture is that they had no hidden areas, no hang-ups, no embarrassment, no fears. There was total transparency, the complete absence of self-consciousness. This gave them unrestrained freedom emotionally as well as physically, inwardly, and outwardly. I like that description. That's what marriage is meant to be. Unashamed emotionally, um, unrestrained freedom with each other. No hidden areas. A total openness and vulnerability with one another. Well, in conclusion then, God established male and female, and he established the institution of marriage. Let's celebrate the differences between male and female, and let's speak some sanity into the narrative that forms much of the culture in which we live today. I mean, it's insane out there what, what people believe and what, they, what they're getting their heads around. And, and we in the church, then we are to speak sanity into that, both speak it and also demonstrate it. And demonstrate what a good marriage is and what it means to complement one, one another and what a man is supposed to be and what a woman is supposed to be. And so, as the French would say, viva la différence. Let's celebrate marriage.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for both men and women and for the children that they can, that they can produce. And Lord, for the, the ability to know and have your guidance, Lord, so we know what you want, what you expect from each. And Lord, we thank you for the diversity that you give us. We thank you for, for those animals and even for Adam naming him Hardvark. That, uh, as, as Frank was saying, I was wondering, I said, why didn't he use Latin like we do now for naming these animals? But Lord, we thank you for all that you give. We thank you for all that you do. And at some point, as you spoke order into chaos, may we find that again. This we ask you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. God be with us till we meet again. Highest counsels God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with us till we Peace.